Do you remember the first story that was so spellbinding that it drove you to break the rules and stay up all night? To keep reading, keep listening, keep playing? So good you forgot your life and lived there? So good that the moment it ended you asked yourself, what next? Welcome to the floor. Our goal is to take you back, take you deeper, to explore and understand more, and relive that childlike wonder. Join us as we dive deep into humanity's greatest stories, no matter how they are told, through books, movies, television, even games. One of us does an in-depth research on our topic. One of us is familiar with the topic. And one of us knows nothing. So the right questions will always be asked and will be addressed for anyone coming into the topic, regardless of how much you know. Enjoy another world another adventure, another spellbinding story. Join us on the floor. All right. Welcome to our fifth episode in the Xenoverse. This is uh, the universe that spawned out of the uh, 1979 movie Aliens and then took off in the comics. There have been several cinematic adaptations, games. Um, we're currently streaming uh, Aliens Fireteam Elite on Wednesdays, if you're interested in that. But to dive into what what is it you want in this episode. So here we're going to be talking about William Gibson's adaptation and screenplay for Aliens 3. Now, this is a, a version that was never made into the movie. He wrote it and they were pitching it. And this was actually long before Alien 3 is ever made. In this one, you would still have Ripley. They planned to release it very quickly so that Newt would still be a child and be able to reprise her role as as Newt slash Rebecca. It's something that the the silver screen never saw. And we're going to be talking about it and some of the things happen. Now, I will point out that there's two things that are different here. I read the book, whereas Eli listened to the uh, audio adaptation of the screenplay. And I have written novels and I've written screenplays. And there's a lot more detail that goes into a novel. But the writer of that novel was not William Gibson. And so there may be some divergence in some points that take place, whereas what Eli got was probably mostly dialogue with a few scene descriptions. Well, beyond that, there's there's two scripts he wrote, right? So there's the first draft and then there's his second draft. Oh, yeah. The the novel (laughs) is after the first draft. And, And then when that draft got rejected, he wrote a second one that was simplified down a lot less aliens, you know, something that he thought, Oh, maybe you can't shoot that big story. So I'll simplify it down and and you could shoot this story. Uh, It's one of those things. So this happens to screenwriters. You turn in your script and then they'll like circle, like several scenes and make it cheaper. And that will be that. That's the direction you're given in Mm -hmm. writing your scenes, make them cheaper. Um, Right, right. So in the book one, we have hundreds of aliens. mm. We we also have a lot more detail on what's happening on the uh, the UPP side of things. Whereas in the second draft, the only information you get is any transmissions or conversations that they're having with the UPP. You don't really get their first person perspective, Mm. and and so uh, those are two major changes and then uh in the first draft we also have the multi chest bursters happening 
that is also cut from the second draft. Okay. So did you read the book as well? I did, but it's been a little bit. Um, Okay. Okay. So. All right. Uh, Yeah. So that is what we're covering today. So like I said, it's, we're dipping a toe into the Xenoverse here, uh, but it's going to be a little bit divergent. And so we will be talking about some of the lore, uh, but a lot of times we're just going to be covering the the story and events for those who are more just curious. I mean, if you were really interested, you you would have read these yourself. Uh, you know, right. So, right. so you're like, you know what? I love the movies, but maybe you're just not a big reader. You know, you're like, I don't do audiobooks. I don't, you know, I just like the movies, but you want more of the lore. So this episode is for you. You know, mm-hmm. We're going we're to be able to go and, and talk about some of the things that, that I, I, I think Gibson introduced, but Eli has read both the comics and the book, so he could tell me what was there. Um, and I think maybe the first thing we want to talk about is the UPP. The Union of Progressive Peoples. Peoples. Yes. So the Union of Progressive Peoples. So is a socialist group of people. Right. And and Faction. The, yeah. The, the way they talk about the two factions mainly is you have the capitalists. And then you have the Union of Progressive Peoples. Now, Eli had mentioned that this was kind of something that got tossed out after the fall of the Soviet Union. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So so this is, I don't believe this was William Gibson's idea. I think this comes from the producers uh, and had given him a note being like, this is something we want to incorporate into our new aliens. And then he fleshed it out. Okay. Now... I, we we had this conversation in stream, but I did think uh, we wanted to bring it up here is during the Cold War, movies that had a negative light on communism, socialism and the Soviet Union would get stipends from the U.S. government. Like they would get would be like, hey, you've got a big budget movie. It casts a negative light and anti-Soviet propaganda. We'll give you an extra five million to make your movie. And. So it's very possible that that is why he got that note. They're like, hey, we want some of this Cumberland Monday to lower the cost of our movie, put in the UPP. And I wonder if that was part of his rejection that they weren't put in a dark enough light in his story. I, mm-hmm. I don't see him being this villain as much as just. Yeah, because to get the subsidy, capitalism. it really had to be propaganda that was against the Soviet Union, like their way, right. their economy, their people, their government, all terrible. Right. Like that. That's how you got the money from the government. Uh-huh. And, and you don't really get that feeling here. Yeah. Uh, th- like the closest you get is that their technology is about five years behind. Right? Uh, I guess I got a feeling that was like the way they talked about it, like it was a lot further behind, you know, mm-hmm. just considering the pace of technology now. But I think at the time Gibson was writing, that might be a little bit more accurate. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Because we hadn't seen, you know, we're in the 80s. When yeah, we're in the this. 80s. I mean, technology is booming, but not like it is now. You know, right, right, right. No one has an idea what a smartphone or even email is going to be, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, OK. Yeah. So the introduction of the UPP is the first thing. Now, I, I will point out that the UPP ends up being kept by the alien universe, as as we've seen in uh, Alien Fireteam Elite. There's a fair amount of lore in the game, and it's about 150 years, we're guessing, from when Ripley first encounters the aliens. And by then... The Xenos are well known, and it's common for Marines to go in and fight them and, and to deal with situations, and they're better prepared to deal with those situations. And the UPP is still around, and they're still talking about it. Yeah, yeah. It does end up being a piece of kept lore. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's something that was fully embraced into the lore of it. And, you know, th- there are other aspects of this story, like uh, the spores that they find, the the way that the, you know, this turns into our black goo of Prometheus, as uh, well as... So, uh, so I guess it maybe it's been a while since you read the book, but in the book, it is the black goo, right? Uh, I remember them referring to it as spores. Okay, so... So I guess I'll walk you through the introduction of the black goose. So when they, so the the Ripley ship after aliens, right? She Bishop and Newt escape on their the ship. Salako, and yeah, the Salako, and they go into sleep. I guess Bishop less of a sleep, but he's in a pod to help keep him together because he's missing his legs. You know, yeah, functioning. he's he's pretty. Yeah, he's, he's, in, he's in a bad place. Yeah, so he, he can't be get, walking around. Yeah, so Gibson's. Uh, first draft picks up like right after now i guess technically they could be on the float for a while it's about four years right four years and the black goo is in bishop Mm. and it is in the pod with him and he grows an alien egg out of it while he's in that kind of stasis sleep and so that black goo is on the salako the UPP gets the black goo and begins studying it. And then eventually the UPP releases the ship back out. They, they, they remove Bishop. They're studying him. They're studying the black goo. They let the ship go. The ship goes in the capitalists uh, pick up the ship. And then they begin studying the black goo as well. And then Bishop is sent back. But yeah, so the black goo is there and the black goo is then infecting everything. Mm-hmm. In the second draft, the alien queen, when she ripped Bishop in half secretly and planted him with her last egg. Mm. And and that egg learns how to survive off him and his, uh, let's see, they call it the, yeah, yeah, we call it that now. At the time, I think he called it his electrolyte fluid. Oh. But from now on, you know, we, we call it milk blood or fuel blood. Yeah, no. milk butter, fuel butter. And that comes from uh, Raised by Wolves, right? Right, right. And I like this a lot better than anything we've had in the past. Yeah, I think it, I uh, because it, essentially it's it, it's like blood in the androids, except it's got, it's that milky white. So I thought it was a perfect name, the milk blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or fuel blood equally, because it's fuel for them, but it kind of looks like blood in a human body. Yeah, I think it is a very good way of naming it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, I don't know for sure, but it really feels like the uh, atheists evolve out of the UPP and the... Uh, Naturally, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Because, who's the other group? communism the, is big so, into atheism. Yeah. Uh, the Mithraic. The Mithraic, yes. So, and then the, yeah. the, the capitalists evolve into the Mithraic and the war nearly wipes out humanity and then we get raised by wolves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I could go on about that, but we're we're focusing on yeah, Alien that's not Three right that's now. not where we are. But yeah, so like I said, this is the introduction of the UPP, and the interesting thing is that Eli even thought like they were going to pull it out because the Soviet Union collapses, but they decide to keep it, which I think is interesting because there are other socialist societies, and there even people who who live in communist society, capitalist societies, 
you know, believe in socialism and want it for their country. So the, the formation of the UPP seems like an inevitability, uh, just given mm-hmm. that some people believe in socialism regardless of where they're born in the same way that people believe in capitalism regardless of their where they're born. And so now you get these factions where people kind of self-divide into whatever economic system they believe in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this whole story of the UPP has been uh, well integrated into the history. They, they have a, you know, a war that happens and they're like, this is where the UPP is born out of. And these are the places that they go and develop and, and grow on their own apart from the capitalist society. So within the book, one of the points that gets hammered home a lot is that everyone studying and looking at the black goo and the aliens comes to the conclusion that this is not evolution. This is an engineered weapon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That this is the result of a ancient cold war arms race. So, well, uh, if everyone who I encounter, they, you know, some of, some of them think we didn't make this, someone did, but some of them still consider be like, it's very possible, you know, Yutani made this. And they're just trying to get it back. Right. They're speculating on either side there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So some people look at it and say, we couldn't have done this, but this was engineered. Clearly an alien species made this. And other people are like, we haven't encountered aliens that can't do this yet. And how each of the alien stories kind of has their own uh, genre that they're in. This is a Cold War story. So not only are the UPP and the capitalists in a Cold War themselves. And they have a certain treaty going on. Yeah. They discover this and then hypothesize, well, maybe this was somebody else's product of their Cold War. Right. Yeah. So the Cold War is less of an issue in the novel. Maybe maybe it's drummed up more in the second draft. It, it, we get more of the perspective of the two sides. And there are a few references to the treaty. But more, most of most of the talk about the treaty between uh, the capitalists and the UPP is more about how do we study this and get around that treaty, right? And so yeah. labeling Without like breaking the treaty, can yeah. we study this? It's like we want to study this. It clearly falls under weapon research, biological like biological weapon, like multiple stages of it violate the treaty and they're like how do we get around this so it's a short conversation but like they talk about how you know oh you capitalists have already broken this treaty because a warship came into our territory and they're like no 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 no. this was a an error right there's a navigational error and the ship redirected itself yeah Um, and that that's just like standard politicking right like mm-hmm. when they and because they start off with that claim and then they very quickly go to, yes, there was a navigational error, but because it wandered into our space, we had rights of salvage. We went on. We took the robot because we can, because the treaty states that that's possible if you come into our space. Right. And they're like, and we will return your robot. But they give him new legs so that they can keep his other legs that are infected. Yes, they do give him the new legs that are that, that he complains about. He's like, these legs are terrible. But he is still, you know, running around doing hero stuff. You know, he is awesome in this one. You know, he's doing all kinds of stuff that uh, progresses oh. the story and saves people. See, in the book, he's very handicapped because they have... 
handicap, but I, I think he's still running around doing hero stuff. Well, so one of the things that happens is they take this black goo and they begin to mix it with human genetics. Mm-hmm. And the aliens possess enough human DNA that his android braid catalogs them as human and he can't hurt them. Mm. He cannot. Oh, he cannot actually. Yeah, in the books, he can't. He can help people, but he cannot actually fight those aliens because they have too much human in them. So yeah, so he in the book, he's very handicapped. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up was that uh, the UPP looks at him as just a robot, yeah. whereas the capitalists consider him a synthetic person with citizenship. Yes. And, yeah. And and they have they have debates about this, and they're like, you don't just have a robot; you have a, one of our citizens. Who yes. Would be breaking the treaty, and they're like, oh, okay, all right. They're like, we don't recognize them as people. We have your property, and uh, they they says because we d- disagree on the personhood, it's not a violation of the treaty. Be like, and we're returning him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, so there's a few things that happen with this black goo. One is that it is able to combine with the milk blood and essentially it's not able to like become half robot, right? But it is able to grow eggs and aliens out of that. Right, right. Which is supposed to be impossible. Like it's not supposed to mix with any biological matter. Right, right. He's he's robot stuff. Yeah. Doesn't have genes. It reminds me of uh, one of the theories about what the future will be like. And one is that bacteria will learn to consume plastic because mm. we have created so much of it. Eventually, it's going to learn to break it down. Eventually, bacteria will learn to break it down. You know, And you know that's one of the theories about the future. But there are actually people who are actively working on developing bacteria that can do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I believe we found a mushroom that's able to do this. So I guess the overall plot is uh, in the book. I mean, it 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 doesn't read like a Cold War novel. It, it's more of kind of the action adventure that you see in Aliens, right? People want a weapon because of the treaty. They claim it's for cancer research, and then it gets loose, and then they have to fight it. You know, and it pretty pretty standard there. But like I said, the lore points that come out is the black goo that can feed on even the milk blood. And then, of course, we have the introduction of the UPP, uh, Mm -hmm. which will stick around. What's another big lore point? Oh, uh, and I don't know if this sticks around. You'd have to tell me because I haven't seen it. So the black goo is an infection such that there isn't a chest burster, but rather just a transformation within the person themselves and eventually their skin just shreds and falls off and they are an alien. And these are referred to as body bursters, body bursters, they burst out of the body and, and they've taken the person's DNA and, and reconstructed the bone and the muscles in inside of their skin until they eventually just start seizing and then will transform and, have this body burster experience yeah, uh, as well as retaining the features of the person uh, they bursted out of um, to the point where, you know, you can kind of tell if you knew the person before you're like, Oh, that's that person. 
Oh, so that's definitely a second draft decision there. So when we were playing Fire Team, how they have the Monica, yeah, Zeno. That's because it, she bursted. She body bursted out of oh, Monica. Monica. Hmm. Okay. Um, she kind of has a face on her. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in the book, you they still eyes. look the same, but. I mean, they're still the crazy animalistic aliens that we're familiar with, but they have a tiny bit of that memory. And we definitely see that in Fireteam's Elite, where uh, Hanukkah is saying, she knows me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, there's that tiny bit of memory that they hang on to. Which you don't want an alien to know you. No, this no. Is a bad thing. <laughs> So unless you're Ripley, and then maybe they're a little bit afraid. <laughs> <If you're> like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. If, if they've ran into Ripley before. Although, although one of the major things about them is they don't feel fear. You know, Right. So. Yes. But, then that's kind of part of the weaponization. It's like it, one of the theories is, is, is like they, there is no fear and there is no pain. So they don't stop when you hurt them. They just keep coming. Mm-hmm. They have a goal. And and they will do anything to achieve that goal. And that goal is usually you. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of it is like oftentimes they will, if there is a risk of uh, imp, imp, uh, uh, implanting a living creature to make more themselves, they just kill it outright. Like they don't prioritize reproduction. They prioritize killing. Yeah, yeah. That takes priority. If, if there's threats or anything, then yeah, you, you just wipe them out. But they will take time to collect people, infect them, cocoon them into the walls, yeah. you know. But uh, yeah, and, and so all of that is part of reaching that conclusion. This was a weapon, not biology. You know, not only that, but I mean, some of the runners have really short life cycles, like so short that it's like they couldn't even reproduce. They you know, they're just there to kill stuff. Yeah. 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 There is uh, that short lifespan on, on on these creatures, which is expressed in the first alien, right? Because towards that very end, when, when she's fighting it, it's moving really sluggish, mm. slow, kind of giving that hint that, sure, they grow up uber fast. But they also I, die really fast, like a, like a fruit fly. <laughs> what is it? Life cycle of like two, three days, you know, uh-huh, it's done. Uh-huh. but they are fast. But they are fast. Yeah. They have to have some kind of dormant phase though. Right. I haven't heard it discussed anywhere, but I mean, for them to linger on these planets for when these people alive, live, arrive, something they, like they have to have a dormant phase, or maybe it's just like the eggs in the black goo have that dormant phase. Yeah, the eggs in the black goo definitely have that dormant phase for the, uh, but I'm not sure that they have any of these runners do. But they do have a certain dormant phase, which might extend that short lifespan a bit, because we do see them uh, having this curled up phase where they're just sitting there completely still. Mm. And then once they sense movement around them, they wake up. You know, we see this time and time again. They're like, oh, there's no movement around. Oh, you are covered in movement. <laughs> so that's that's most of our time today. What are some of the major I, I covered the major lore points from the from the novel, which is the first draft. What are some of the major lore points that get hung on to from the second draft? One thing I wanted to say was uh, with how the 
black goo interacts with our DNA, that is recreated in Prometheus, the way that Gibson describes yes. that it happens. That shot is shot there for Prometheus. We see the DNA get ripped apart and then reconfigured. Um, well, not only that, but I mean, the opening of Prometheus is uh, a pitch to answer the idea of why is there life on Earth? And what we see is one of the engineers or space jockeys. It looks like he's forced to commit ritual suicide, like in ancient Rome for whatever he did. And then his that black goo that is his blood or his disintegrated body mixes in with the water on Earth. And that is where we get the beginning of life beyond flora and fauna. Yeah, yeah. Sentient or sapient life. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the progression towards humans begins at right. that moment. If you enjoyed this episode and want more on the topic, we record a special treasure room for our patrons after every episode. In the regular episode, we go deep. In the treasure room, we go wide. To enjoy the bonus content, sign up at the fluorite level or higher. There is a treasure room for every episode from August 2021 and on. That's double the content. Two episodes a week instead of one. Go to www.patreon.com backslash floor fantasy and lore. That's floor spelled F-L-O-R-E. Select the fluorite tier or higher. Immediately after each episode is released, the treasure room will post the bonus audio on Patreon. They are identified by the tag treasure room after and the title of the episode. You can also do a search for the keywords treasure room and find all the content you've been missing. Thanks for listening. Leave us a review. Tell us why you like listening to us. Is it our awesome deep dives? Is it our amazing back and forth? Is it our charming good looks? What would you like us to add or change? You can put that in the review as well. We read reviews. Yeah. And if you're going to be leaving us a review telling us what you like about it, maybe you even want to share the content with your friends, uh, like and share on social media. You can join us on Twitter and Facebook. We post memes. And we actually started a Discord, so come play with us. So uh, a lot of the worlds we cover have a retcon. Uh, if you're not familiar with that term, it's reconstruction. Or sometimes we might uh, use a bad source for some of our lore research. And if that happens, uh, feel free to email us at floorfantasyandlore at gmail.com. That is floor spelled F-L-O-R-E, fantasyandlore at gmail.com. And if you're angry enough, we'll read it on the air. <laughs> yes, we will. Also, the treasure room is now available. We have locked a few secrets for everything we cover in there, and each week we add more. And uh, you can find the treasure room on patreon.com backslash floor fantasy and lore. And how do you spell that, Aaron? That's lore with an F at the beginning. So it sounds like floor, but it's not the floor you're thinking because it's our floor. Uh, we hope you enjoyed your time on the floor. Uh, think about your favorite part of the episode. Now, think about your nerdiest friend. Who is it? What is their name? They want to know about the floor. Stop holding out on them. Go and tell them about your favorite part. Because all of this is more fun together. <laughs>